0: Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to go a little bit deeper in the Scriptures, but just isn't sure how to go about it. We're here to help you think, live, and love biblically, while never losing sight of the real purpose of Scripture. That is, to show us the glories of Jesus Christ. And I'm your host, Matthew Tilley. Hey, it's uh, been a little while since I've published a uh, podcast episode, and I know that is a pretty bad form for somebody trying to launch a new podcast to go about three or four episodes in and then to kind of go dark. Uh, so sorry about that. And uh, any of those of you that are really listening and you know that we've been studying in 1 Samuel, I do fully intend to go back to that and uh, pick that thought back up. So really enjoy... Um, studying with you hopefully you're enjoying it as well where we're actually going through passages of scripture there in first samuel and getting those big themes big messages out of the out of the text um and, uh, and we'll go back to that but today what i want to do is something just a little bit different um reflecting on uh more of a topic than um a particular passage of scripture the topic that i wanted to reflect on for just a moment in this uh this episode is the topic of forgiveness. This is something that uh the Lord has been working in my mind and my heart uh pretty uh relentlessly uh for some time now. If I if I'm honest about it, it's really been about a year and a half or better. Um but it's been in earnest in its most um uh acute form in the last uh about three or four months. So this has really come to a head for me. But I think uh, when we think about this idea of forgiveness, um, I fear that, especially us who are claiming to be Christians, have a fairly simplistic view of forgiveness. We'll quote a verse like Ephesians uh, chapter 4 and verse 32, where Paul's writing after listing off um The way that we should operate as Christians in the in the in the verses prior to that, he kind of caps that off by saying, "And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, rather as God for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you." And that sounds all nice, you know. Just forgive them, you know, forgive and forget and move on, let it go, and 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 that sounds all nice and everything, and uh, that works to a point where it becomes. I don't know, unworkable, is when you go beyond the, the everyday faults that we have with one another. I think we, we often imagine this world in which you know, we bump into each other and it's like, oops, sorry, and the other person says, oh, no problem, and move on. And sure, we should definitely forgive in that way. But sometimes the hurts, and some of you that are listening know this is to be the case, is sometimes the hurts that others do to us or that we do to others um, are much more consequential than that. So, when you go back to that verse in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, really think about what he's saying there. We're to be kind one to another, yes, tender hearted, forgiving one another. But the key to that is, as he says, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So, in other words, our forgiveness needs to reflect the forgiveness of God. And, and please understand one thing about the forgiveness of God it was not cheap. It was not easy, it was not quick, it is not painless. It is an absolutely painful forgiveness. It involved an expensive, a, a high precious cost, the cost of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God, yes, he does forgive us, and yes, we should then forgive others, but know the basis of his forgiveness is for Christ's sake. I want you to think about this. Why are you forgiven? Because Christ died on the cross. So what does that mean? Well, he actually took your sins. He didn't just pick them up as if off a shelf, but he actually took the sins that you have and put them on himself. And not just your sins, but the sins of the whole world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, it's the sins of the whole world. They're on Jesus. It is as if he has committed those sins. He is standing in our place and he is hanging, literally hanging by his hands and his feet nailed with spikes through his body to a piece of wood hanging between heaven and earth. And all of the universe is really centered on Calvary at that moment at the cross when the father is looking at the son and we understand he turns his back on the sun. That's why the, the sky goes dark, essentially rejecting Jesus Christ and then pouring out his wrath um, Isaiah uses this language in Isaiah chapter fifty-three that it pleased the Lord, uh, pleased the Lord to bruise him. So, so it was it was pleasing to God to to bruise, to crush, to to absolutely, absolutely destroy his son. It pleased him because not because he hated his son. Certainly, he loves his the son Jesus Christ. He loves Jesus, but it pleases him because that sin that Christ bore deserved punishment. Okay, so so the basis of my forgiveness before God is that Jesus took my sin, he took my punishment, he took what was owed to me, he absorbed it. Uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about how he made a way through this new and living way, through the, the veil, that is to say, his flesh and through his blood. So, so it was all made possible because Christ's body was broken. His blood was shed. He absorbed my suffering, what I deserved. So I now have the basis of forgiveness between myself and God. Now, if I'm going to accept that, we know that that was given, that that, that sacrifice was offered, but it doesn't apply to me until I have faith in it that I understand that I need it. In other words, if I'm standing over here, it actually brings to mind that, that, that thing that Jesus had said, that he said in the gospels where he says that, that he didn't come to, 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 to heal the healthy because they don't need a physician. It's the sick who need a physician. So if I'm standing here saying, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I, I don't need forgiveness. Uh, I didn't really do anything all that bad. I just want to go ahead and tell you on going record is to say that if that is the attitude of my heart, then I'm not a saved person. I am not on my way to heaven. I will die in my sins. It's not until I get to the place where I recognize, oh my goodness, <laughs> I have sins that need to be paid for. I deserve eternal damnation for those sins. And get to the place where I recognize I can do nothing about my sins that mean that makes the gospel the gospel and, and i repeat that because the word gospel it means good news what makes the gospel good news is here i am someone who can do nothing about my sin nothing about what has happened i've already i've already done the worst and i deserve the worst and i have no way out yet jesus in grace not because i deserved it in mercy, not because I was so good, but in grace and mercy has made a way for me to be forgiven. So when I really come to that place where I say, Lord, I can't, I've can i done wrong and I know I deserve hell, but I would like to believe in what Jesus has done, except his gift of salvation. That's when salvation occurs. That's when conversion happens. That's when regeneration is happening because that is that realization that I can do nothing. This is why in Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he talks about how that God uh, resists, that, that he actually gives grace to, to grace to the humble. He exalts those that are humble, that submit themselves to his mighty hand. James has a similar thought that he resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. It's that person who understands, I deserve God's wrath on me. And because I deserve God's wrath on me, I'm messed up. I'm lost. I'm at my wit's end. If nothing else happens, if there is not divine intervention, I will be destroyed eternally. And then the good news of Christ comes in that says, Jesus saying, but I died for you. I loved you so much that I'm giving myself for you. That is where salvation That is the basis of my forgiveness before God. But let me tie this back to where I started. That is also the basis of my forgiveness for another, as well as their forgiveness of me. Because it can't be simply a, I injured you, I harmed you. Oops, sorry, man, please forgive me. And me in response say, no problem. It's all under the blood. That's not how that works. Yes, it is forgiven. Yes, there is un, um, uh, unconditional forgiveness, in fact. But it's not the way it works at all. Not at all that way. You see, forgiveness is only forgiveness. Or rather, if forgiveness is only received when we understand that we needed forgiveness. I'm reminded of that situation in the Corinthian church that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There was a terrible scenario there. There was a a a man in the church who clearly had been involved in some some very questionable questionable behavior. Paul really calls it out as something that even really shouldn't even be named among the Gentiles, he says there in 1 Corinthians 5:1. And he is essentially telling the church, listen, guys, you've got to deal with this. And I, it appears that this, this man may have rejected any efforts to reconcile or to, to address the sin. And he says, Paul says to this man, or says to the church of, of this man, in verse five of 1 Corinthians chapter five, he says that, that you need to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And there's some tough words there and even a tough, tougher sentiment that Paul's expressing, but I think an important one. You've got a man here who's in sin and it seems was unrepentant in that sin, did not want to address his sin, didn't want to change his ways, didn't want to acknowledge that what he is doing is wrong. And the Corinthian church was too passive they even, I think he says in verse 2, they were kind of proud of the fact that, hey, they were just accepting and loving and all this. And he says, no, no, you're not doing it right. By allowing this man to go continue down this path and in the name of quote unquote forgiveness, you are actually putting him in danger of something greater than somebody maybe thinking he's a bad dude. You're actually putting him in danger of eternal hell fire. He says there in verse five, you're better off to go ahead and turn him over to the world turn him over to this world and allow the whole world to see the sin that he is and allow all the accusations to fall heavy on his shoulders so that there might be a hope, as he says, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, that there might be a hope that that the weight, the the sin crushing down on him might get him to that place where he realizes, hang on a minute, (laughs) what I've done here is wrong. What I've done is hurt people. What I have done is a sin against God. What I have done deserves punishment. And when you get to the point where you realize that's what your sin is, that's when you can actually receive true forgiveness. But what that involves, all that is, is this big, ugly word that we don't like in our modern day, but it's a word called repentance, It requires someone to realize I'm heading the wrong way and I need some help to turn around, but man, I need to turn around and I need somebody to fix this because I can't. That's what that recognizing or or, or holding this man accountable for his sin, forgiving him. Absolutely. Because forgiveness ultimately involves this idea of not holding a a grudge, not trying to get revenge. Uh, Paul talks a lot about that. Over in Romans chapters 12 and 13, in chapter 12 and, and, and uh, verse 19, he says, you know, he's, he's quoting from the Old Testament that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So certainly in the spirit of forgiveness, there's, there's a letting go of vengeful attitudes. That's absolutely part of this. But there's also this, this sense in which that, that, that uh, not only are we letting go of vengeance, but we're also loving. We're loving people. He talks about in, in uh, Romans chapter 13:8, that we should owe no man anything but to love one another. So, so there's these attitudes that should be expressed, but as we're loving and we're forgiving in those ways, we're not holding that grudge, what it does not entail is embracing the sin. It does not entail saying, "You know, it's okay. In fact, I'd like to turn over very briefly to, to 1 John, a passage that is often brought up in the context of forgiveness, mostly not me forgiving another person, but me actually being forgiven of God. And in 1 John chapter 1 and um, in verse 9, we find that really quick, I want to read that. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, he says that if we forgive, our, excuse me, if we, for, if we confess our sins... He, speaking of God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is a, if I can say it this way, there's kind of a precedent. There's something that has to happen first in order for the sin to be forgiven. I understand that is ultimately forgiven in Christ, but I can never receive that forgiveness until I do what verse 9 of chapter 1, 1 John 1 says. I must confess my sin. Now confess means to identify my sins the way that God identifies. Call it like he calls it. I can't go up if I've stolen something and say, Lord, I borrowed this for a few minutes and I need to return it. No, because that's not what I did. I didn't borrow it. I stole it. I can't go up and say, you know, Lord, I I, just sat in another man's car for a few minutes when I actually went and broke into his car and took his money out. But, I mean, It's actually identifying what I've done, calling, as they say, a spade, a spade. We have to be willing to do that. And until we're willing to call our sin, what it is, but then there's another component to it. And that is ultimately understanding that what I did this confession. Understand that when I confess that, <laughs> let me back up and say it this way. Do you know why we don't like to confess our sins? Because it, carries with it some baggage. If I confess that I burnt that house down, if I'm an arsonist, there's uh, there's jail time. <laughs> there might be some kind of, um, I have, may have to pay it back. I may have to pay to fix the problem. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a stigma that comes with that in the community. There's a reason. There's a reason that the adulterer doesn't want to confess to his wife that uh, what he was involved in was actually um, a, a relationship that was Immoral and inappropriate and out of bounds and a and a, and a, and a actually affront to his wife. He doesn't like to confess those things. It he likes to call it a mistake, uh, an accident, um, uh, just the wrong place at the wrong time or a response to some environmental factor. But that's not confession. It's not a, not confession until we put ourselves into that place where we are actually making ourselves vulnerable to everything that our sin actually brings on it and can i stop right here and just reflect personally as i'm thinking about this that makes a lot of sense to me it feels good to talk about that in terms of what that means for someone else who has harmed me but oh my goodness if i really think about what that means for my sin and what that means that i have to be willing to accept that's some pretty tall order That I have to, in order for me to be able to be forgiven, I have to actually accept the responsibility for what I've done. I have to be willing to say, listen, Lord, except you intervene, I deserve hell itself. And I'm just going to be honest and say, I'm not always on board with that. But that's absolutely what where forgiveness comes from. When I submit myself, I call it what it is, I recognize who I've hurt, and I, ex- I am willing to accept the consequences of my sin. One of the thoughts, the, one of the, the people that's really inspired some of my thinking around this was a woman named Rachel Den Hollander. She was one of the voices, one of the, 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 the women, young women, who came forward. And really pushed hard and was one of the leading voices that ultimately brought down Larry Nasser. Now, Larry Nasser, if you don't know that name, um, he was uh, the man who was convicted. He is in jail now, as I understand it, but he was convicted of uh, some heinous crimes against young women. Uh, sexually abusing them while they were in the USA Gymnastics program. A terrible, terrible man, did some terrible things. And she was abused by this man, um, And but she was also one of the people who really led the charge against him. And in that trial, he ultimately was convicted of sexual abuse, um, lots, of, lots of prison time and all that. But as they were making their victim statements, Ms. Hollander made a statement that I thought was really encapsulated this idea that I'm trying to convey to you, maybe maybe haltingly, but it's definitely the, 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 the heartbeat that I have right now. And I'd like to read to you some of the words that she shared in her victim statement speaking about and to Larry Nassar, someone who harmed her, who hurt her, took things from her that no one should ever take from anyone else. Here's some of the things that she said. She said that in her early hearings, you, speaking about Larry Nasser, brought your Bible into the courtroom, and you've spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you've read the Bible you carry, you know that the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. Breaking in here, this is me speaking, not quoting uh, Mr. Hollander, but that's the kind of love that I want to show to others. God has shown that love to me. There have been many people in my life have shown this love to me as well. Coming back, quoting her again. She says, You spoke of praying for forgiveness, but Larry, if you've read the Bible you carry, you know that forgiveness does not come from doing good things as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth of what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror, without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. If the Bible you carry says it is better for a stone to be thrown around your neck and you to th- be thrown into a lake than, than for you to even make one child stumble and you've damaged hundreds. The Bible you speak, the Bible you speak of carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. And at this point, this is me breaking, Matthew breaking in again, just to say what I'm about to read, this last paragraph. This is my hope for my sins. This is my hope for the sins of those who have wronged me and my family. This is my hope for those that have wronged you and your family. This is my hope, and I quote her again. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, for which you need far more than forgiveness for me, though I extend that to you as well. This is what forgiveness really is. This is what we must give to others. This is what we must This is what we must experience ourselves. We must hold our brothers and sisters accountable for sin. We must hold ourselves accountable for sin. We must repent when it is brought to our attention, and we must be willing to take the full weight, the full brunt of it all, knowing that it will never pay for the sin, but it is all ours to bear. And then we need to cry out for mercy. God, please help us. It's when we put ourselves under his mighty hand. This is, this is the message of 1 Peter 5. When we allow His mighty hand to be the one that's in control, He will exalt us. Let me just go ahead and say it may be that you may have to suffer dearly for what you have done wrong in this life. You may have burned bridges with relationships. There might be legal troubles that you're in. There may be any number of problems that you may face in this life. But if you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt you in due time. That due time will be in the next life when we are welcomed into his presence for eternity, where we can live with him for eternity. But we'll never enjoy that. We'll never experience that if we are always worried, always looking for how we can mitigate it, how we can soften it, how we can get somebody just to turn the other eye, turn the other cheek and look the other way and turn a blind eye to our sin. If we're doing that, we will never experience God's forgiveness. Forgiveness is not cheap. Real forgiveness is not easy. It's hard. Saying that as somebody who's actually talking to you as in the moment that I am wrestling with how to forgive. I'd like to say, check, done, moving on. I'm not, I'm not there yet, I'm trying. But the spirit of Rachel Den Hollander's forgiveness of Larry Nasser is the spirit that I want to embrace both of God's forgiveness for me as well as my forgiveness of those who've done, done me wrong. And I pray that we will actually embrace what God's forgiveness really looks like and not gloss it over with this Hollywood churchy stuff that doesn't amount to hill beans. Instead, what we're doing is we are actually endangering people's spiritual future, their eternity, just simply trying to overlook the sins that, God, that, that they've done, that God is actually condemned. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you so much for joining me on Seeking Christ in the Scriptures. I hope you will follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you like to listen to podcasts. Now, if you found this show helpful and interesting in any way, do you mind sharing it with somebody you know? Uh, You can maybe, on a lot of the podcast um, platforms, you have a little share button. You can send that out via social media. You can maybe just send it to one of your friends by text or something, but please share it. It may go a long way in helping me to get the word out about the show. I hope you have a great week and you can tune in every other week. We're going to do this as a bi-weekly show from now on. Uh, You can tune in every other week for a new episode of Seeking Christ in the Scriptures.